Thank you, Noah, for reading our scripture. And thank you for being here. We are small in number today, but we're glad to be together, and we appreciate so much you being here. To those of you who are watching online, as always, we give thanks for your presence. We encourage you to watch tonight as we have our class at 6 p.m. Jared and I will be discussing our verse for the week, which is Ephesians 1, verse 7. And so hopefully and prayerfully you have committed that verse to memory, and we'll be talking about that for a few minutes tonight. I do want to say how much we appreciate our fathers. Today is Father's Day, and we want to wish you a happy Father's Day if you're a father, grandfather. We're very grateful for your contributions to society, to the human family, and just like, well, we often give praise to our mothers, and we ought to, and we want to give praise to our fathers and for all that they mean to us, and hope, hope this is a very special, special day for you. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 27 in our study today, the passage that was read a moment ago, and what we're going to be talking about in our study today is simply this. How will your book of life end? Whether you realize it or not, you are writing an autobiography. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and about verse 12, of making many books, there is no end. Down through the years, many people have written volumes of books on subjects such as history, science, geography, medicine, the human body, astronomy. I mean, there is such a vast array of books on the shelves. And then we talk about biographies, books that have been written about specific individuals. And then, yes, there are autobiographies, books that have been penned by writers describing the contents of their own lives. And so today I want us to think for a minute or two about this theme. How will your book of life end? Because whether you realize it or not, you are writing your own autobiography. Now typically we talk about books being some 12 chapters in length. Now I know that, that there are many books that are some more, some less. But if we were to look at 12 chapters in our lives, and if every chapter represented seven years, that would bring us to 84 years. I read recently that, statistically speaking, women are expected to live today to about the age of 84. So you think about how quickly life passes. And what I think about is the fact that as we live here on earth, we're writing literally the deeds and activities of life. So what about your book? Are you pleased with how things are going so far? There are three things I want to share with you in our study today. The first has to do with the duration of life. Now, I don't have to stand here and tell you that life is at best very brief. That's what the Bible teaches. You remember in Genesis chapter 47, Pharaoh 
Ask Jacob in the long ago, how old are you? And Jacob responded by saying, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. And he said, few and evil are the days of the years of my life. Now, 130 years from our perspective, that's a lot of living, isn't it? I do not expect to see 130. I don't know about you, but I don't believe I'm going to make it. I don't expect to see 100. But there are some people that have made it to 100. There are some that have exceeded the ripe old age of 100 years. Job talked about life. In chapter 9, he compared it to a runner. And we think about the swiftness of those who run, who sprint. He also compared life to an eagle and his prey, and how an eagle has the ability to swoop down and catch his prey. In Job 14, Job would say, Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower, and then he said, and fades away. No doubt many of us have seen flowers as they begin to bud and bloom and then later fade. Well, that's the way life is. So life is very brief. Now, the originator of life is God, isn't it? You remember the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 17 that it is God who is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. He said it is in Him that we live and move and have our very being. James compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Life. Here today, gone tomorrow. The psalmist in Psalm 90, and Moses, I believe, was the writer of the 90th Psalm. And Moses said we might live to be 70 years of age. It might be the case that we reach the age of 80. But he said it is soon cut off, and what happens? We fly away. The song that we sing, I'll fly away. We'll all fly away one day, won't we? Since I've been here at Isla Branch almost 13 years, well, I actually will be finishing 13 years, I have seen young people die, teenagers. I conducted a funeral last May for a 19-year-old young man who drowned. I have seen individuals who have died in middle age, conducted their funerals. I have seen people who have died as elderly people. The point is, none of us has, none of us has the ability to say, we're going to be here tomorrow regardless, do we? We just don't have that ability. The fact of the matter is, we might be here today and literally gone tomorrow. When you look at the way many people die in the world in which we live, some people die because of accidents. Some individuals die as a result of some type of protracted illness or disease. Others have a heart attack or a stroke and they're gone immediately, aren't they? Young and old alike. Look, we just don't know. That's why Moses said, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. You better make sure 
that you are taking into account how swiftly time gets away. So, let's just say that you're going to live to be 84, and you're 42 today. Guess what? You're at chapter 6. If you're 21 years of age, chapter 3. I'm telling you, life gets away from you. David said, I was young, and now I'm old. It's amazing how quickly life gets away. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and he was talking about how fast life moves and how our children grow up and get out so quickly. And it's almost as if today you have toddlers, tomorrow your toddlers have their own toddlers, if you know what I mean. So the duration of life. But then what about our deeds in life? When we talk about our deeds in life, this is how, when it's all said and done, we're going to be judged. And you think about how you're writing your autobiography, the contents in that sketch. Would you be pleased if Would you be pleased if other people had the ability to look into the contents of your book and see literally everything? Is it possible you might be ashamed? I mean, again, we're all writing about our own lives. So what about your deeds? There are several Areas or maybe rooms that we could visit or chapters that we could visit in our own lives. First and foremost, our family. How's your family life? Did you know that you're going to be judged on the basis of your home life, your family life? Take, for example, the time you spend with your family. How much time do you spend with your family every day? Time is a precious commodity, isn't it? Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 said that we ought to redeem the time. In other words, buy it up. It's getting by so quickly. You need to make sure that you're using your time wisely. I have never visited with somebody and had an individual tell me, I regret spending so much time with my family. Have you ever known like that? Have you ever known anybody that said, you know what, I just spend too much time with my family. But I have on the other end of the spectrum talked to people who regretted not having spent enough time with their family. Busy working and doing this and doing that and running here and there. No time with family. I mentioned just a moment ago our children. Seems like one day they're toddlers, the next day they're grown. You can't recapture that time. You need to enjoy that time. So as your children get older and they reflect back on their life, will they be able to say, you know what, my mom, my dad spent a lot of quality time with me. Or will they say, you know what, I had an absentee mom, absentee dad. Time is an important part of our family life. And then what about how we treat one another in the home? And we're talking about Father's Day. And I am grateful for all the good fathers that we have. Men that are of sterling character. 
that set forth a tremendous example day in and day out. And you think about how, as a father, you treat your children. And children, think about how you treat your father, how you treat your mom. Paul would say in Ephesians 6, verse 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Is it possible, as a father, we can be too hard and harsh and overbearing? Yes. Is it possible that we can be so overbearing we drive our children away? The answer again is yes. Do we need to discipline our children? Absolutely. Do we we need to have parameters in the home? Well, of course. I'm not saying that that we don't have guidelines in the home. But again, how do we treat our children? How do we treat our mate as a husband? Let me tell you what, you want to talk about an ideal. You you want to talk about a standard that has been imposed upon us that is lofty in height. Read Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, listen to him, even as Christ Love the church. Now you tell me, is that easy to do? No, it is not. I mean, you think about demonstrating that selfless, sacrificial love to your mate. And Paul is saying, just as Christ loved the church, the depth of love that he demonstrated for his wife, that's the kind of love we're to have for our spouse. How do you measure up? How do you treat your mate? And wives, how do you treat your husband? You know, it's a two-way street, isn't it? Are you kind? Do you do those things that make for a harmonious relationship in the home? Did you know Solomon said that those who find a wife find a good thing. Could a husband be dictatorial and overbearing toward his wife? Yes. Could a wife be dictatorial, overbearing, nagging to her husband? Again, the answer is yes. So I want to ask you, how's your autobiography coming? One day, that book will end. And your spouse, your parents, as a spouse, as you go back over the life of your mate, what's written is written. What's done is done as a parent. Same thing. So how do you treat your family members? Paul talks about being kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Think about how many people today have problems with one another. How many marriages end because they can't get along with one another? It'd be a terrible thing to die unexpectedly and to leave things undone from the vantage point of a relationship. Did you know that there are people that never have the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that. And yet Paul is saying that there is a guiding principle in our home life, in the life of a Christian, and that is we're to be tenderhearted. 
We're to be kind. We're to be forgiving of one another. Is that how, is that how you're living? Wouldn't it be terrible as a spouse or as a, as a child to be alienated from one another and to die and to never have the opportunity to make amends for any kind of wrongdoing in the past be a terrible way to leave this world, wouldn't it? So we think about our time, how we treat one another, our tenderness, and then what about our trust? There's a trust factor involved in the home, isn't there? Children ought to be able to trust, to rely upon their parents. There ought to be unconditional love in the home. There, there ought to be, there ought to be in the homes of people all across this country and around the world. There ought to be mamas and daddies that live in such a way that their children can count on them. They can trust them. They can trust that they're going to do the right thing, that they're going to be the right kind of example, that they're going to, that they're going to lead them in a way that's going to prepare them for the future. What about your teaching? Are you teaching your children anything? As a parent, we basically have our children, what, 18 years? And then we send them off to college. What principles or values have you instilled in your children? What principles and values are you instilling in your children? Paul said we are to rear our children, listen to him, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 6, speaking to the children of Israel, that they were to diligently teach their children in the Word of God. So what about you? If your children lack faith when they go to college, let me tell you what, in all probability, they're not going to have faith as they grow older. And sometimes we talk about, well, they went to college, they sat at the feet of a professor or others, stripped them of their faith in God. Is it possible they never had faith to begin with? So how's your teaching? How are you coming along as a teacher in the home? So we talk about that chapter devoted to family. What about our personal faith? Is your faith growing and abounding? Is your faith pleasing in the eyes of God? You know, it was said in John chapter 8 by Jesus. There's a statement made by the Lord that is intriguing. It is profound. It's worthy worthy of considering. Jesus said, I always do those things which are pleasing to my Father. Can you say of your life, you always do those things that please the Father in heaven? Is that a picture of you? The Bible talks about the genuine faith that dwelt in Timothy. That faith had also dwelt in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. And Paul said, I'm persuaded it's in you also. Timothy was a man of faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul called him a man of God. Are you a man of God, a woman of God? 
when the book is closed, can someone say about you, he was a man of God, she was God? If not, you better start doing some changing. What's your aim in life? Somebody said, if we don't aim at anything, we won't hit anything. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for the Savior. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul would say, set your affection, set your mind on things above, and not on things which are upon this earth. So as we peer into your faith, as we look at that chapter in your life, is your mind on things above or things on the earth? The way you live your life ultimately bears out where your heart is, doesn't it? I mean, are your treasures in heaven or are they on earth? What's your life all about? And then we talk about our affection. There are a lot of folks in our country today that are really worried about whether or not we're going to have college football. Look, my life can go on without college football. Can yours? I do not need the NFL to survive. I don't need that. I don't need any of that. I might enjoy watching games, but my life is not built around that. No, my life is to be built around God. He is to be the aim of my life, and God is to be the one wherein my affections lie. Didn't Jesus say to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? Didn't He say this is the first and great commandment? There are a lot of folks in our world today, in their mind, their lives will fall apart if we don't have sports. That's the aim. That's the, that's the focal point of life. Look, nothing wrong with sports. Nothing wrong with a lot of good hobbies and activities in life. But the hub of life needs to be whom? It needs to be the Lord, doesn't it? So we talk about our family life, our faith life. What about our finances? Did you know that every blessing you have comes from God in heaven? Didn't James say every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above? From the Father of lights. The psalmist said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Are you grateful for the blessings that God has given you in this life? We talk about the blessings we enjoy physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and yes, materially. We are the blessed in so many ways we are blessed in this country. We have so much to be grateful for. But I want to ask you this, as a child of God, as a steward of God, how generous are you when it comes to giving back to the Lord? I want you to listen very carefully, please. Have you ever thought about how much Jesus talked about money and material goods in His teaching on planet Earth? you ever thought about that? I am convinced there will be a lot of people who will not go to heaven 
Not because they didn't worship according to the New Testament pattern. Not because they weren't baptized into Christ. Not because they did not know what was right. But because they weren't generous. Now you think about that for a minute. We live in a self-indulgent world. It is all about me, myself, and I. And it's all about me, and I'll give the Lord the crumbs of my life. Let me tell you what, we better back up and start doing some rethink. We better rethink some matters. Eddie Archer left this world almost two years ago. Eddie told me one time, he said, I know how to make money, and he did. He made a lot of it. But let me tell you what, as his wife began to wind down, Eddie made provisions for the cause of Christ. He left this congregation money to be used for the advancement of New Testament Christianity. I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars that he gave to evangelize. I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars that he poured into a lot of good causes. You remember what Abel, you remember what the Bible says about Abel? He being dead yet speaks. I could tell you about another brother that has been extremely generous in days gone by. I can think of one occasion when I called a brother about some needs with regard to evangelization, edification. Told this brother how much we needed, and boom, just like that, met the challenge. A brother in Christ said on one occasion, with regard to the finances that he had been placed as a steward over, he said, I do not want to die with God's money in my bank. Think about that. So we talk about money and finances and material goods. And look, I'm talking to myself just as much as anybody else. Do you remember what the problem with the rich young ruler was? When Jesus told him, He said, go and sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and then come, then come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. What did the Bible say? You remember? The Bible says he became very sorrowful for he had many treasures. Wasn't willing to part with it. Greed and stinginess can get a stranglehold on our lives. So what we need to do is make sure that our finances are in order. And then with regard to the fun that we have in life, our activities, our associations, the things that you do for fun in this life, are they godly? Are they things that will help you grow spiritually? Or do the people you associate with and the activities that you engage in, would they mar your relationship? Have they marred your relationship with the Lord? Look, there's coming a day when your book's going to be finished. That autobiography that you're penning right now, it's going to come to a close. It might be in your mind right now, you're thinking, you know what, 
What I've got to do, I've got to somehow get my house in order. I'm going to get my family life right. I'm going to get my faith right. I'm going to get my associations and activities in the realm of fun right. My finances need to get in order. But guess what? Death comes. And we don't get to make it right. You like to read? Some people love to read fiction. Some of us like to read biographies, autobiographies. Some books, some books have a happy ending, don't they? I mean, we talk about a storybook ending. But some books have sad endings, don't they? Some books leave us asking, what if? Isn't that the way life is? Have you known people in the past that had all kind of ability, all kind of talent? They had everything to live for and somehow they squandered all of that. And so you're left thinking, what if? A decision here, a decision there, a choice here, choice there, turn here, turn there. Life could be completely different. So you think about how your book's going to end. And I want you to know something. Not every book has a storybook ending. You ever thought about that? Not every book has a storybook ending. You mean to tell me that you've known people who are members of the body of Christ? And they've stepped out into eternity? That book has been closed? And they weren't prepared? That's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm saying. The Hebrew writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Do you know what he was saying? He was saying, it is a thing fearful beyond belief to die unprepared to meet God. Amos, that great prophet of God in chapter 4, at about verse 12, Amos said in the long ago with regard to the children of Israel, judgment was coming. The Assyrians were going to judge the children of Israel. They'd carry them into captivity. And here's what the prophet said. Prepare to meet your God. Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to stand face to face with the Lord one day? Did you know you, that's what's going to happen? Let's just talk about our destiny. We've talked about the duration of life, our deeds in life. And I want you to listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 10. For we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. What are you saying, Paul? He's saying that we're going to be judged on the basis of how we've lived, what we've done, whether good or bad. In Revelation chapter 20, when John pictures the judgment scene, he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. And John said, before him stood the small and great, and the books were opened. Those books, God's Word. 
And let me say this, we're going to be judged on the basis of not what I think, what you think, not what politicians think, not what the majority says, not what the newspaper says. We're going to be judged according to the Word of Almighty God. Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Romans 2.2 2. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We're going to be judged by truth. So the books are going to be open. Then he said another book's going to be open, which is the book of life. When you obey the gospel, your name was recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Is it still there? Is your name still written in the Lamb's book of life? Did you know your name could be removed? Read Revelation chapter 3, the church at Sardis. They had a name that they were alive, but God said, you're dead. And those who would walk worthy of Him, He said their names wouldn't be blotted out of the book of life. We're going to be judged on the basis of how we've lived our deeds. That's going to determine our destiny. You mean to tell me I'm going to stand before the Lord? That's exactly right. You just imagine. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, all nations will be gathered before Him. He'll begin to separate them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. To those on the right hand, the Lord's going to say, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To those who are on the right side, who have lived for God, who have lived lives committed to the Lord, we'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you remember John wrote in Revelation chapter 22, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. When we live in accordance with the will of God, the promise is what? Is heaven. So you think about how you're writing your book right now. How things are going in your family. How things are going with your faith. How things are financially. I mean, you look at how your life is, look at how your life is playing out. The deeds done in the body. Good or bad? Do you live in hope of life eternal? Which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began? As a child of God, do you know that your home is in heaven? Now look, if you're not a child of God, you don't want to leave this world. And the reason is because Jesus talked about a place called hell. In our day and time, folks don't want to hear about hell anymore. They don't like to talk about it. They don't like to think about it. They don't like to read about it. They want nothing to do with it. But those who haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the Lord will be revealed from heaven with the angels of His power rendering vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Lord's coming. And if your life is not what it ought to be, let me tell you what. There will be no second chances. There will be no mercy. You see, today Jesus is the Savior of the world. Tomorrow, He'll be the judge of the world. When we step out into eternity, it's too late. No second chances. There are no do-overs. There are no hope-sos, maybe-sos, think-sos. No, when we leave this world, that's it. So, if we have lived for God, if our life has been built around Him, built upon Him, guess what? We, we have the hope of heaven. That's our destiny. But if we are unfaithful to God, if we've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, then we don't have anything to look forward to other than punishment, pain, misery. Think about the worst day you've ever had in life. Some of us have had some bad days, haven't we? Well, we've all had our bad days, bad moments in life. But I want to tell you right now, you haven't had a bad day until you experience that first day in hell. You want to talk about, you want to talk about a bad day? That's going to be a bad day. And the reason is because that bad day will never end. So that today I ask you, How's your book of life going to end? It's going to end. It's going to end at some point in time. And you look at the chapters of your life. As those chapters begin to unfold, and we come to that conclusion, can you say with Solomon that your life was about fearing God and keeping His commandments? Is that the summation of your life? Look, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, my encouragement to you, please, don't leave here without obeying the gospel. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name before others. Be buried with Him in baptism. Let God put you in the church. Acts 2.47 And be faithful until death. The promise is crown of life. If you're here today and you're a Christian, but you're not faithful, this is your golden opportunity to make it right. Look, I'm not here to hammer you. It's not my intent. My intent is to help you. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're here today and you need to repent of your sins, you need to repent and confess it to God. We would be happy to pray with you and for you. And God, who abundantly pardons, will cleanse you from all sin. Won't you come as we stand and sing?
come forward this morning and he has made mention that he would like the prayers of the church. He wants to be a better father. He wants to be a better example. And uh, he wants to be an example for his family and a more faithful servant to the Lord. And I can definitely understand as you consider all the things that, well, we do on Father's Day. It's always we desire to be better. We desire to do a better job, and I understand on his behalf so much the desire to do just that. So at this time, let's go to the Father in prayer on his behalf. God, we love you so much. We're so thankful this day for Brother Greg coming forward and, and asking for the prayers of the church. We understand his desire to be a better example. We under, understand his his desire to be a better father for his children and to be a more faithful servant of yours. Ultimately, God, we want more than anything to, to be faithful to you. We want to live according to your word. We want to follow according to the pattern that we find in the New Testament. And we want one day to stand ready before you as we are there for the judgment. God, we understand the great love of Christ. We understand that there's forgiveness promised through His blood. And God, we understand no matter what sin has come in our life, we understand that we can be forgiven when we fall short. We pray, God, that you, you be with Brother Greg at this time as he confesses that, that he wants to be a more faithful servant of yours. We pray, Father, that we can be encouragers to him. We pray that you can bless him in the future that he can be a more faithful servant and a stronger servant of yours than he's been in the past. And we pray, Father, the, the same prayer for each of us. Help us to be more faithful. Help us to be more committed. Help us to renew our lives and renew our desire to put you first every day. God, we love you so much. 
We do pray that you be with Greg and forgive him for anything that is amiss in his life and just help him that he can be the best servant of yours as he goes forward from this day. God, we love you so much and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to pray and to ask for forgiveness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We will sing the song that's on the screen as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And Danton will be leading us in the communion in just a few minutes. <clears throat>